Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. I am the host, Frank Gill, up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My friend all the way in Baltimore, Maryland, is Jeff Simpson. What's up? Down in, is it, is, I don't know if it's humid anymore, maybe it's colder. Some the air South still Carolina. out. Yeah. Pete. Well, hello there. Yeah. And then together streaming from the crown jewel of no, we're Florida. Not. We're in Tarpon Springs today. Oh. Also a jewel. The um, the uh, cubic the zirconium Greek, of Tampa Bay. The Greek yeah. jewel of Florida. The Greek yes. jewel. Andrew Opa Larson. To that. I would like to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. Yes. And Timothy Miller. Hello, world. Guys, it's been a good week. Um, I, I have one challenge because I got someone messaged me privately about this. Um, for this opening banter, we don't talk about any sports. <laughs> what else is there to talk about? <laughs> Andrea, Just because the Rays are in the World Series. The Rays are in the World Series. We're going to talk about it. And so are the Dodgers, about. which is my childhood team when I lived in Riverside, California. Well, whatever. Well, there we go, here. Frank. Can I do this now? Is that better? What? Frank? No. Get out of here. You're you're of the... Don't tell me you just wear hats based on color. Uh, I wear hats 100% (laughs) color. It's such nonsense. Jeez. No, I'm definitely a race fan. This hat is just cool looking. All right. um, That's a lot, number one. How's your your week going? How how was your week? I I, I said this in in the Facebook group. I was able to apply what we learned last week from Dr. Cox. Um, Such good. I, I was in a, I was in the lobby. Someone asked me to, like, someone started just pouring their life on me, and I said, "Hey, this is sounds like a very important conversation. Let's 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 get together and have a meeting." So, so I'm uh, I'm becoming wiser with every every week of this podcast. How about you guys? Um, we're not supposed to talk about sports. We're not. Why would we talk about the race? But being it was a long it? week because when you are staying up till one in the morning watching baseball every night. It it affects the rest of your week. So if I was allowed to talk about it, I would say that it's exhausting being a diehard Rays fan. I will say it caused me to get my sermon done way earlier than it's normally done. It, see, my my issue was that I I always go through everything before I go to bed Saturday night. Sure. But I didn't want to do that this week, and so I went through everything Friday night when I knew I could be in an even mood because I didn't know what kind of mood I was going to be in on Saturday night. So I got to Sunday morning, and I didn't feel like my PowerPoint game was as fresh as it could have been. Sure. That's on me. That's on me and my priorities. Okay, so you would rather prepare the night before and no, have I, it be right, like fresh the day before. I, I write throughout the week, but I right. do like final edits, and I do the PowerPoint slides the night before. Yeah, I always okay. spend at least an hour. Saturday, just refreshing, making sure this is like ready. conversation for later. But yeah, this is like the main point of our conversation. Okay, we're, we're, we're literally <laughs> just supposed to be saying how your week went. Let so me bring it back to something. I more went serious. on a helicopter ride. Okay, Ooh. as I was going in a helicopter ride, I was looking at the ground. I was like, "There is literally a square, like fixture on the ground." So I said, "Land the helicopter." They landed it. I got down. Literally, I opened it up, and it was an actual prepper bunker. So I go down into the prepper bunker. There's a lighter down there, three perks and $1,200. I then went up and I ended up defeating the um, false prophet and liberated the entire region of Far Cry 5. 
Wow. That so, was a video game. Yes, that was, was a video game. At first, I was lost. At first, I thought he was actually in a helicopter. So I had a feeling that is I knew where that's that preacher story. Good preacher story. Telling, you got me real good. You set it up, and then you hard right, <laughs> and then you're like, oh. Yeah. Anyways, so it's a good weekend. Can we talk weekend. about how sweet of a swing Cody Bellinger has? Because I know you might not be a Dodgers fan, and I'm more of a Rays fan. But that man has it, a sweet, sweet swing. It's a sweet swing, and I hope his shoulder is forever dislocated. Not and forever it, it dislocated. Healed, I hope it healed I, well, but I hope that it just takes a little bit more time for yeah, him to be back. Maybe, that, I, I hope, maybe that I hope run he heals will be in the 10 start days. of a slump now for the series. No, like when they were like doing their celebration. Did you see thing, him get hurt like, during celebration? Where they like lock not. elbows to se- – oh, so like they – Instead of high fiving, they like lock elbows, and it pulled his shoulder out of socket. Like popped Dude, it out of socket. People are so dumb with celebrations, man. I remember the kicker for the Bucks like blew his ACL yep. up celebrating. Martin like, Gramatica, I remember, love that guy, man, until the end. Uh, my week was great because Doctor Cox preached for me yesterday, so I spent the week not preparing a sermon, uh, and basically I was the chauffeur for the family uh, get together. So we drove um, from Baltimore to the Antietam national uh battleground whatever it's called it's a it's like a national park and cemetery there but uh from the from the civil war so that was really cool really fun uh so i did a lot of driving in a minivan that we rented on wednesday timmy and i went to disney with our buddy Derry and his family there were 19 people in that's our party fun, that's what we should have been talking three, about we should have been talking about that instead of baseball i yeah, guess probably. but Three pastors' families, nineteen people. It was wonderful. Did it was you, it was life giving. Turkey legs. No, what? Well, we got Tijuana flats afterwards. We got tea flats. We got I Disney popcorn, of course. Though. Me too. I think we don't have Tijuana flats here, and I do miss that. Let's uh, dive into our clergy cliff notes. Uh, uh, Andrew, can you uh, segue us into clergy cliff notes? Absolutely. Oh, sorry. I thought you wanted me to Every read my week cliff he notes. He gets confused by this. Cliff notes. Clergy cliff notes. I should really write lyrics to this song. But up, but up, but up. From the things we saw on the internet, here's some things we think that you should know. Thank you. Delmar, kick us off. What's your clergy hey. clip? Okay, so at my church, we actually have a teaching team. Uh, and it's a multi-layered team. Uh, we could get into that if you guys want. But I found a really good article on the value of having that team. And they just, um, there's five quick things. I love to throw them out there and then just get you guys reaction. And, and I see um, if any of y'all have ever been a part of a team like this and, and maybe we can walk through it. So the first thing is um, obviously on a fundamental level, it helps tamper the God complex that happens with so many pastors. I mean, think about the pastors that we've just seen in the last 10 years of ministry, um, even with allegations coming out with pastors, even this past week, it's like, man, um, sometimes we elevate these guys too high. So a teaching team helps neutralize that a little. Um, it helps other pastors. It helps equip them. Newer guys, it gives them positive feedback loop. It gives them opportunity to grow without having to give them the full authority. So there's some margin of grace there. Um, it helps the church connect to a different audience, which is so huge especially when you have a pastor who may be older, having a teaching team with people in a different generation, your pulpit's going to be able to um, grab more of a demograph over a period of time, letting that teaching team teach. And uh, it improves the sermons uh, for the congregation and the preachers, because an effective teaching team generally has a process which the sermons are previewed and then feedback is given before it's even 
preached. And then lastly, and this one is coming up in my future of November because our teaching team is carrying pretty much the entire month because it helps refresh the lead pastor. Um, our pastor is currently doing, um, believe it or not, a capital campaign in the middle of COVID. Um, so that's a little taxing on the soul. So uh, November's coming along and we're going to be preaching as a way for him to get refreshed. So as I'm looking at those, I'm like, I affirm all of them because I've seen all of them at play in our teaching team. Actually, the meeting I have right after this meeting when we record this podcast is the teaching team, and it is my favorite meeting of the entire week after this podcast. Yeah, no, I'm glad we brought this up today because after we finished second service yesterday, I went home and told my wife that I need I need to end a break. Like I'm just, I think I'm just preaching tired, you know, the, the preaching fatigue that we get from the, the weekend and week out grind. And then I was just reflecting on the calendar and Andrew and I had this conversation just a couple hours ago. And, you know, I've only, I've only taken one Sunday off of preaching since, since March. And that's, that's just a little bit, yeah, that's, that's just a little bit too much for me. I, you do full granted, manuscript you know, too, don't you? Yeah. So full manuscript. So that's, you know, 3000 plus words a week, roughly. So it's just, I can really, like, I'm just starting to feel it, feel it. And I, I love the thought of this, but the practicality of it in my church setting, I don't know if it makes a whole lot of sense. Would I love to get to this spot? Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with any of this. I think this is, this is fantastic. And I, I feel like being, you know, the smallest church represented in, in this group, or maybe Jeff, maybe we could arm wrestle over that title, but it, it's a thing where it's easy to read something like that. It's like, okay, this look, you know, this works Must great, be but- nice. Yeah, must be nice right, yeah, for exactly. you guys that have multiple campuses. What's a, a, Oh, the campus pastor had to preach once this month. What does he even do those other three weeks? Um, Still wondering. Uh, I, <laughs> it, it's never actually been addressed on this podcast what a campus pastor You know pastor what? We don't need to go there. Let's do next but, week. Next week is the Frank Del Mar show. It's always no, okay. about campus pastor. I've actually, I actually have a document the grass right is now. so greener over here, guys. <laughs> but, but no, like, it's – it's hard to, to to read this with the with the eyes or the ears of someone who's who's in the setting and be like, oh, well, of course the big churches can do that. But then at the same time, you have to see that this is so helpful for so many different reasons, right. you know. And yes, you know, when we read through the New Testament, Paul is you know primarily the communicator in Acts, but he's got Luke with him, he's got Barnabas with him, you know, he's he's not alone doing this, and and there, there's other people, there's other voices. And I, I like the idea in, in my previous church, I was, I was the, uh, the pinch hitter, you know, you would, I would come in to be the change of pace preacher for the senior pastor that was well into his sixties to appeal to the young people from time to time. So I completely get this. The implementation I think in normal sized churches is a lot harder than well, it is okay. in big churches though. A couple of things that I would just kind of point out is you're looking, what I just read you guys was the end result of a process. You know, you first have to make a mindset to get there because um, our church is pre-COVID is around 1500 on a good day. And um, I was the only pitch hitter, sort of speak. Um, And I was feeling the weight of that, you know, our pastor put it this way. He preaches however many sermons a year. If he messes up a sermon, guess what? He has a lot more sermons, so it's not noticed as much. But if the pitch hitter 
messes up one sermon, how much is that remembered? It's remembered a lot more. So I started realizing I needed a company of other men um, who could who could write with me. So um, we weren't there. It was a process. I actually had a student on staff who was called into ministry, and uh, I pulled him into that process while he was a junior. And this year he just graduated from college and he's on staff. He's a teaching team member. And then um, just another, I've, I've had, I guess what I'm saying is I even eyeball lay members who, who possibly could speak, you know, because I think that they have a lot to offer. And in smaller contexts, I've seen churches get together with their local pastorate. And you can accomplish some of these things by writing with other pastors in your community. So I mean, like I said, I think this does it, it paints a big picture, but this is the end result of a process. I, I don't I don't disagree. Um, I, I, my church I'm at currently is the first time I've ever been in a church that has like a, a preaching team. I think um, I don't want to pretend to understand the complexities of like Jeff, Andrew and Tim and your churches where like you guys are the main communicator. And then to try to like, I know it's not as simple as like, well, let me just tap my elder's shoulder as if like we believe right. all of our elders are good preachers, which though they might be a qualification <laughs> in scripture for being able to speak, practically but speaking, it's sometimes what our... kind of car they drive. Yeah. <laughs> but but I was saying is this is from being someone I think the more valuable aspect of a teaching team is actually having a, a sermon critique process, not necessarily having um um, multiple communicators. I think that's great. If you can create a, a church where like, like in my church, the senior pastor preaches probably 35 to 40% of the, the time of the year. And then, and then there's about two other pastors that kind of fill up the remaining 60% or so with a couple Sundays where there's like, um, kind of like, uh, preaching uh what, what what would you call it like like when you're raising up the next generation of preachers like giving them like memorial day weekend and new year's eve yeah. you know new year's break to be able to preach the sundays when like your church is at half capacity or something so here's the shadow side that no one tells you Delmar, you brought up a good point um like if you are pinch hitting your sermon has Bro. more like if you mess up it's more memorable so let me give you an example of something that happened in my church my boss who was a campus pastor of our church, who's been here for nine years, um, just accepted the call to be a senior pastor at a church in Oregon. And so now he's a very big voice in our church. He probably preaches 30% of the time. He's gone now. And so I've been, I was told in the past four weeks, like, Frank, your next sermon is very important because the church is going to be looking at who's going to replace that voice. And it no might pressure. be, bro, I've so and Andrew and Tim, you guys have said on your podcast, and we've talked about it here how every sermon is not supposed to be a home run, it's supposed to be like a, a, a you know, base. first base. Everyone, you're, you're pinch hitting, you're, you're is, swinging for the fences, buddy. This everyone, is a sermon. launch angle needed. Everyone's <laughs> like, bro, this needs to be a grand Exit slam. Velocity. This needs to yeah. be the biggest, yeah. And, and I just felt so much pressure on my sermon, yeah, last Sunday, not this past Sunday, but the same before that I like. It wasn't, it wasn't anxious, but it was more of like, it wasn't like a whole, like it wasn't a, like all scripture is great. It wasn't a passage that's like a layup. It was like, I'm going to have to dig deep in this passage. Well, that, well that's I what I was, was just thinking. thinking. If, if it's like, hey, you're the guest preacher. We need a home run from you. You can preach on anything you want. Like we all have those like three or four go-to sermons in our heads. Like, oh yeah, 
I'm I'm speaking in chapel at a Bible college. I'm going to check, you know, I know exactly what I'm pulling up. But it's like, hey, uh, you're assigned Galatians 3 verses 10 through 15. And oh, by the way, this needs to be the greatest sermon you've ever preached on a passage that you didn't select. Yeah, uh. right. And then here's another tension of being that that pitch hitter is you're told, here's your passage. And then very oftentimes you're like, and here's the series title. You need to fold in this context into this topic. Now here's the problem. What if the context and the topic don't match? And now you have a conflict of interest because, I mean, I'm going to have to go with the text. And now it's like at our church to kind of help elevate the preaching, whoever's preaching on Sunday, that sermon has to be ready to go at 1030 a.m. on Wednesday. We walk into the the, big, the worship space. Five other pastors are sitting in the worship space. I have to preach it cold, like straight up a homiletics class to five people with notepads, you know, and then we go into a back room and um, I say, what's the main idea? They have to be able to say the main idea. They have to be able to say, did, I, did the transitions work and did the where I always go when I'm the person critiquing, did the sermon lead me to worship? You know, so so that's every Wednesday. Like every Wednesday, bro. Ours is wow. ours every is, ours is every Thursday afternoon at three o'clock. I I I would I, I want Thursday because I'll be honest, man. After coming in on Monday from the holy hangover of Sunday and then Tuesday, you're kind of getting back into writing. But yeah, Wednesday, ten thirty a.m. and then we have to go make edits. Um, so ours, yeah. ours is Thursday afternoon, but by Thursday morning, I have to get to my communications director, all my outlines, my, my, my sermon points and anything I want in the slides. He needs a full day to be able to have the slides ready. So, um, well, can I ask a question? What if you go to sermon thing and then they blow up your sermon? Then do you have to, then our communications guy has to work on the weekend, which I never want him to do. And so as an Enneagram three, I want my Thursday afternoon sermon to be the best sermon that's going to be preached right. on Sunday. So very so 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 oftentimes I try to make my slides vague where I know this will not get critiqued, so that way whatever does get critiqued it will be changed. Like I'm never gonna put like a like a bold theological point on the slide. That's gonna be just something said so that way what is critiqued is like is like my main points is kind of like can work no matter what gets changed in the sermon. Does mm. that make sense? Jeff, what what day does your wife critique your sermons? Uh, yeah, my sermon critique happens at lunch on Sunday. Oh, like okay. Sunday in Same. the car on or the way sometimes home. Sometimes in uh, sometimes when I get in my car after church and I pull out my phone, there's sermon critique on my phone from text yeah. messages. Dude, I find that your wife is either this is what I've seen from communicators. Your wife is either your yes woman or she is your your greatest critic in the best sense. You know what I'm saying? Because I've seen women who just defend their men, and I'm like. He's clearly not communicating well. Why are you defending him? And then I have other women who are like, you need to articulate your points better. And every time you say that point number three, you use Trump fingers. You need to stop doing that. You know, like I've seen both ends of the spectrum. So, but I mean, yeah, your wife is a huge asset with that. I, I think so, though, to, I mean, to, to take away, like, I don't, what, what I love about this list is the first one. It takes, it conquers the God complex. What Andrews Andrew said this this uh, this phrase earlier. He's like normal church, and that's a true statement. Ninety five percent of churches in America are like less than two hundred, right? And so so ninety five percent of the churches don't have a preaching like multiple voices on Sunday morning. I don't necessarily think every church needs to have multiple voices on a Sunday. Like I think if you have a pastor that preaches 
you know, 40 weeks a year, that's fine. What I do think is valuable is if churches, if pastors did have a system of critique, whether that was Thursday or Friday morning, I think that way you're not the only person that has to think critically on these topics. Because I think how many times have you said something on Sunday that you just wished afterwards, like, man, I wish I rephrased that. Like, I wish, I wish I didn't say that. If you had three or four people who had your best interest in mind, that could be like, Hey Jeff, yeah, that joke didn't land. It actually kind of com- came off a little inappropriate. Like that would have mm-hmm. been more helpful than than simply having four or five people be able to preach each week. Yesterday, I was talking about how uh, we, you know, we're kind of in a political series, and I was talking about when people try to use, you know, the Old Testament in particular to line up with their political system. It causes us to butt heads with each other. But what I said is, it causes us to be butt heads. Like, wait, no, no, it doesn't cause, like, it causes us to be buttheads, but I'm not saying it causes us to be buttheads, and I just thought, I'm not going to get out of this, and I should have said anything other than buttheads. The worst thing for me about the whole sermon process is the Tuesday after church, because Tuesday after church, we all go into the pastor's study, and they drop down a projector, and there is a review team that watches your sermon with you. And they say, pause, pause, pause. And they give you just like, yes, it's it's just like that. And like the other day, I was so embarrassed. This is, I probably shouldn't admit this on a podcast. It's just, it's just embarrassing. One of the things I really hate is I'm always afraid I'm going to leave my fly unzipped because that did happen when I was in student ministry. So the other day, like um, I come out on stage and the worship leader is praying and setting me up. And I straight up did a fly check on stage, on video, in front of everybody. And I got the pause. Dell, what were you doing there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, young guys listening, you- it's going to happen. Just, it's going to happen. Young guys, hey, listen, I know this is a, this is a broad podcast. Ladies listening, I don't know what the equivalent is for you, but something like that's embarrassing is going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. The reason I don't take you know, my shirts in. To that point, number one that you just uh, that we were talking about the God complex. I will say this: if you're going to lean in to any type of critique, any type of team preaching, there is one thing that just if you don't have this, it will not work well, and that is humility, because you are going to put people on your stage, and they're going to come up to them afterwards, and they're going to say, "I like you better than the senior pastor's preaching." And then you have to be able to say, well, I have a good teacher. How do you think I learned to teach that way? And then your senior pastor has to be like, I'm really grateful that he can connect with you. There has to be humility on all sides. And there has to be a tremendous amount of loyalty. Even in student ministry, when I was there, I had two other guys who I would get to come speak. And sometimes they would speak and people would be like, I like them better than you. And I had to really be like, wonderful. That's great because you can so easily go to a different place with that. And listen, people will say that to you to try to hurt you. Uh, you need to know that there are church members who will say that to you on purpose. Um, all right. So I, I'm i going to push back against some things a little bit. And I want to say this caveat. I have always been in a church where we preach 30 to 40 minute sermons every week. All that. I was part of a preaching team when I was the youth pastor. The way I actually became a senior pastor is I was a worship pastor that had to also uh, help teach in the student ministry at the church I happened to be at. Long story. 
one of the teenagers had a dad who was an elder at that church. This church was about 300 ish people, 250, 300. It's so a little bit bigger. Um, and uh, multiple staff. And he heard me teaching, this elder heard me teaching in student ministry, went to the senior pastor, said, hey, let's give him a shot on a Sunday morning. Uh, and they did. So I, I ended up over the course of almost three years there. The last year I was there, I think I preached like 14 times. So a little more than once a month, um, which was which was amazing. Uh, and so that's the point at which I, you know, people around me started to say like, hey, this might be a tool in the tool belt. You know, you can lead worship, but you might want to think about preaching too. Because I had only ever thought of myself, I mean, Frank knows this, I was just going to be a worship pastor the rest of my life. I was happy with that. Uh, but I would just say this, the, the our entire conversation is built on a presupposition of the importance of preaching that is in one particular stream of Christianity. And I, I'm part of that stream, but I also think it's, I, I think the first point of conquering the God complex, a lot of that I think is due to sometimes an overemphasis on on preaching itself. So there are other ways of discipleship and other ways of worship expression that happen in the gathering of the church that historically preaching has not always been the climax of and the center of everything. Um so all I mean by that is I don't I don't necessarily think you have to have a sermon every time you gather. Um, there could be a few weeks a year where it's just a Lord's Supper service, or it could just be a prayer service. So that's a creative way in a smaller church. You don't have to feel like we have to have a sermon, and every sermon is the most important way that it's important. I, the majority of my time is spent writing sermons. I'm not saying that. But uh, in a small church where we have less than 50 people, there are times when you can be creative and do different stuff. So most of the time I use those, uh, you know, those off weeks, if you will, on different kinds of services, like a Christmas Eve service. I don't preach a sermon on Christmas Eve. We actually just kind of walk through a liturgy. So I don't make that an extra time to preach. Um, and there are Sunday mornings when I don't prepare a sermon. We do something creative with missions or uh, we spend a lot more time in prayer. Now, my tradition emphasizes healing and prayer and anointing with oil and stuff. So we might spend a lot more time doing that on a Sunday. And I don't do that when it's an, I don't do that out of emergency. Like, Oh crap. I don't know what I'm going to say this week. Oh, let's just do a long Lord's supper. Like that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying you can plan that. Uh, and then there are opportunities to have other people preach in your church, specifically lay people. And I would just encourage, you know, everybody to think about the fact that, Again, preaching is important, but it's not like the most important thing ever. And if we screw it up, oh, no, what's going to happen? Which means you could invite someone to preach who might quite not be ready for it, but maybe they can't do a 40-minute sermon, but they might be able to do a 20-minute sermon. And you could do something else that's a little different. And that would accomplish some of the same things we're, we're, we're talking about here without it having to be exactly what you would do on a Sunday. So I just think you can get creative. You have freedom to get creative. Again, preaching is important. It's just, it's not the end-all, be-all. Um, and that's, again, that's my church's tradition. That's my church's culture. So be wise in your church's culture. If you're a young pastor and you go into a church where they've had really strong expository preachers for years, and you're like, hey, we're just going to do a prayer service, that might not be a good idea right away. You need to, you know, you need to be wise. But it's a possibility. So I have a guy in our congregation who is a professor at a seminary. So he preaches 
once in a while and it's way more academic than me. And, but that's a good, it's, I mean, one of the points in here is you get other voices and other styles. I have a lady in our church who preaches once in a while. So, um, there are probably four or five times a year where those two will preach. And then of course I have my father-in-law who, when he comes up to visit us, uh, they usually spend two weekends with us. And so our deal is, uh, the first weekend they'll usually arrive on a Saturday and I'll preach the next day like normal, but then he's going to preach that following week right before he leaves which means for me, I get to spend the whole week just hanging out with family and not thinking about a sermon coming up. So, and then I would say too, just planning. I mean, that's just not a strong suit for me. I'm not a planner. I'm more creative, but uh, man, if you can get sermon ideas on a calendar, then you can go to those lay people and say, Hey, three months from now, uh, I am purposely going to have an open week in the preaching calendar. Would you like to share something there or preach something there? Uh, and if it's a person who's not ready to preach long, you can ask them to do a 20 minute sermon on something they've been reading. So, and then of course be ready to help them. Um, so th- those are just some other creative ideas in a, that I think in a small context, you can accomplish some of this preaching team uh, in a little bit different way. I want to go back to something that Dell said about, you know, people coming up to you and saying, you know, oh, I like you better than the senior pastor or, or whatever it is. The senior pastor that I worked for last when I was interviewing for that position, I sat down with him at a Starbucks and he said, Andrew, there are three things that I ask of everybody that that works under me. And he said, I want you to be competent. I want you to be able to do the job that we hire you for. That's the, the first thing that I want from you. And then he said, I want you to be loved by our people and I want you to be loyal to me. If you are competent and you are loved by the people, but you're not loyal to me, that's just gonna create infighting. If you are competent and you are um, and loyal to me, but not loved by the people, then you know no one's going to like you. It doesn't matter how competent you are if they don't like you. If you are loved and loyal but not competent, well, that puts me in an awkward situation because then I've got to get rid of someone that's super loyal to me and that the people love. And if you know, I don't remember what the other one was. But I just I it's been almost ten years since that conversation, and I always think of that especially in terms of preaching. If you are competent and you're doing what you are called to do and you are able to do what the church asks you to do, that is one third of what you need to do. If God has placed you under the leadership of a senior pastor or under a board of elders or whatever it is, you need to be loyal to the people that you have agreed to serve under. And you need to go out of your way to endear yourself to the congregation that you're trying to lead because if people don't like you, they're not going to listen to you anyway. Yeah, do not ever, ever try to start a coup at your church. Yeah. Ever. Just that, kill that sin in your life. Well, and so often, especially coming from youth pastor world, you hear the, you know, the guy that he was the pinch hitter and he hit the one, you know, came off the bench and hit the one home run. Yeah, yeah, he had eight weeks to prep a sermon and did it. I'm ready. I preached one time. Give me my own church. It's time to, it's. Yeah. Don't we call those guys church planters? No. Yeah, exactly. Hey, just kidding, church planters. <laughs> just kidding. Hey, one more thing real quick. I do think it's a really important thing. I think this is, uh, especially in a smaller church where literally everyone can see you because the room is tiny. Um, I do think it's important for you to have times in the year where someone else is preaching and you as the pastor on the front row with a notebook uh, taking notes. Uh, I also think like when worship is going on, like for you to be visibly worshiping where people can see you and not 
I mean, listen, I know how it is. I'm in a church of 50 people. It's so tempting to be in the back, in the booth, and making sure the slides and this. And like, it's you don't want to give off the vibe, and this goes to the God complex, that you don't need any teaching or you don't need any worship. Like, you're all you're the shepherd, but you're also a sheep in that church, and the other sheep need to see you accepting teaching, hearing teaching. So when I have someone else preaching for me, and it's not because I'm out of town, I'm taking notes. And I mean, this is honestly... Uh, like you guys that are campus pastors that have streamed in stuff, you guys do a great job of this where you wrap up the end of a sermon or, a, you know, at the end of a service and, and repeat some of the couple points. I mean, that's stuff that I think is really good to do. And it shows humility to your congregation in a really, really like visible way. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I, I, man, Jeff, you said some stuff that really challenged me in this not challenged me something i've been really thinking about for a long time is the place of preaching um in the service where um where i i wonder how much has that been just like tradition that's been passed down for the past like 200 years you know like since the time of the puritans to the time of of spurgeon and like stuff like that where it's like we 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 have idealized ideal not idolized but idealized Mm -hmm. the place of preaching being like the main purpose of the Mm -hmm. service where i wonder if that was the intention and if that's even valid throughout church history which i don't think think, i don't think that's a i don't think that's a truth statement about church history but then we would have to reconcile our relationship with the the catholic church I, i would just say think about it like a meal i mean i think preaching is your is your healthy meal that you want to be eating most of the time but there can be times when you can have you know dessert for a meal and it's okay like it well and just can't be the steady diet the thing about preaching is if you do trace back church history i mean the reformation a huge portion of it was founded on biblical preaching Uh, i mean um john calvin towards the end of his ministry when he was in geneva he invented what's called the company of pastors where he would have pastors come in once a week, they would worship together and then they would preach. One would one would get up and preach and the other would critique him. And towards the end of his ministry, he preached a he preached every single day of the week. He would have one service. Um, it never went over an hour. And his sermons, he believed in the bite sized sermon, not necessarily, um, you know, the one hour Matt Chandler type deals. But I, the reason I use him as an example is because he's indicative of what the culture was back then. So. I do think what, prob- what what seems to be, as I'm a student of church history, is there was this lack of preaching, so there was this massive reaction against that, to where it's like, oh, just preach, 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 preach. That's why in, in modern churches, the pulpit is in the center of a lot of them, because what they're saying is this is the center of the service, whereas in the Catholic church, it would be where you take communion. Um, and it's probably somewhere as a balance in between, to be honest. Yeah, I've always, I've always, whenever I go to uh, certain denominations and traditions where the pulpit is, is not in the center, I'm always um, really intrigued by the history of that denomination, that mm. tradition of why the lectern is, yeah. is to the side. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with what you just said, like where the Lord's Supper is the centerpiece of the service. And it's so, it, it's interesting with, you just said it, it's like the reaction in the Reformation was to make the centerpiece of the service, the the message, and where where that, what the, the slippery slope of that is where the Lord's Supper has now become a, to some churches, a once a month or even a once a quarter 
situation where that it's 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 a balance that I'm personally trying to reconcile of like what I believe because what you just said Jeff earlier is like it's not necessarily has to be a week to week thing was mm-hmm. a privilege I found in student ministry that no one could attack me on right, right. like if there was if there was a if there was a student ministry service where we had a straight up prayer day or a, or, or an extended Lord Lord's supper people would be like that's not the Sunday morning service you can do what you want but. I wonder what does that mean for our our main adult worship services if there is a place for switching it up once every three months or something like that. I don't know. That's Wait, maybe so you guys at the bigger churches have you have you had a Sunday where there is no preaching and there is something else offered? Like has that happened since you've been at your church? It was literally the absolute worst thing we ever did because they tried to copy and paste the uh i say they we tried to copy and paste the uh at the movies thing and that went over like a fart in a presbyterian church okay like that's so, an expression i'm not familiar with loud loud nasty and the quiet you know <laughs> but seriously and i but some of that was some of that was because i think contextual relevance is so huge if you are not going to preach you need to make sure that the thing you're doing exactly what jeff says it has to reflect where you are like the thing that i put the most work into my last year of student ministry was um the tonight show i was talking with frank about it and i'm i'm not like it really was so professional. I have multiple stages. I had pre-recorded commercials and like everything. And it went over so bad. I had three weeks planned. I had to pull the ripcord after week one. So like context if is so important if you're not going to preach. Yeah. And all, all I, the point I was just trying to make is that like most of us come from a very similar evangelical tradition uh, where we, we look on the Reformation as a, a pretty positive thing. And the values of the Reformation are positive to us. And all I, I mean, a way to say it would be if you're a pastor in an area uh, and you're in that kind of stream, which I kind of assume you are if you're listening to us this many episodes in, um, make friends with a mainline pastor and then ask them questions about why they have the pulpit where they have it and what they're doing when they, you know, just, I mean, because you can have a caricature of what the Lutherans or the Methodists or the Catholics are doing. But I mean, make friends with a guy and or or a lady and ask them questions about why they do what they do. And you'll find that they actually have pretty good answers most of the time. Not all of them you'll agree with, but they have good answers. They're not just doing that out of willy nilly. So uh, and there might be things like if you're in a tradition like mine where we're we're pretty big tent evangelicals, there's things you can do and apply. And, and you may be able to creatively solve some of the issues of like Tim's saying. You know, and I'm in the same boat. I don't think I. This is the first Sunday I haven't preached since March, um, and uh, you know, it, it's just like I'm in a like a weird rut of I'm tired from preaching. Yeah, uh, really quick, a resource I just want to recommend on the heels of that before we transition. It's a YouTube channel called the Ten Minute Bible Hour. And it is fantastic because this guy, he's a Protestant, but he goes to every other denomination and he oh, says, yeah, can, you he wa- can, can you walk me through your church They're and cool. explain to me why everything is the way it is? And then afterwards, they'll sit down like an hour and talk about the theology of the church and how it informs. It is just awesome. So if you want a good way to kind of get into that world, 10-minute Bible hour. Yeah, I, Jeff and I, we talk about this. We, we, had, we had a worship class where we were forced to go to other churches that aren't like our tradition. And I think that was probably what you just said was so good. 
asking those questions of why it, it eliminates the caricature. And even if you disagree, you understand why, and that can actually inform why you do the things you do, but even challenge you of like, hey, they're thinking about something that we don't think about. Yeah, why do good. we do a 50-minute sermon every week? Yeah. On it's top good. of that, having those kind of conversations about why they do what they do could lead you to realize that you can do more collaborative stuff with them than you thought. Yes. Because they actually have less theological friction with you than maybe you thought of when you were just based on a caricature. So, mm. you know, make friends and ask questions. Andrew. Let's hear your clergy cliff note. So there is a pastor in Tim and my uh, local, my brain stopped working, d- denominational Our conference. Our conference. There we go. Uh, yeah, conference, network, region, all those words work. So there's a pastor named uh, Sarah Robinson who's in our, um, she's a Florida pastor here in um, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and she's quoted in this article. So I saw it this morning. And I just thought it was really neat since we're talking about preaching today. But this is um, both in the Baptist Standard, but also the Religious News Service. And the title of the article is Masks Reduce the Spread of Virus, But Make Sermons Tough. Mm. And the article is talking about, um, you know, the, the difficulty of communicating to a room full of people where you cannot read their faces. Yeah. So the the opening quote is by a pastor in George. He says, you know, give me all you can give me through your eyebrows as he's uh, trying to get reactions out of people. And just, you know, the the article goes on for a while, and I'll kind of spare you. There's no bullet points, but it's just what ways can you convey to your pastor? And as a pastor, what things can you be looking for um, that people are receiving the message that that you're trying to preach? And there's another quote in here that says, I don't want my people to die, and and I don't want our church to end up on the news but I want to know if the message is getting across and it's difficult to do that while everybody is, you know, covered from here down to, to read faces in a room. And so I will say, um, for, yeah. first of all, the guy that said, give me all you can through your eyebrows, hundred percent chance. That's a white church. Uh, 100, 100, 100. <laughs> it was not catchy enough to be anything else. I don't know. But, uh, I know for me, it was, uh, when are my people engaging through leaning forward? Cause to me, that's, that is an engaging thing. Also, I look for people who are writing notes, like if they're taking notes. Um, and then I think that is kind of to marry the two. I think that's where if you do, you do have to trust your, your sermon process and the other people who you've allowed into that space to know that what you're bringing is from God um, and, and I'm going to lean on that, even if I'm not receiving that energy on my end. I mean, I, I, I was going to say like what I, I've, I've tweeted this before and I'm not the first person to say that said this, but like someone said, like you find out very quickly now in this season of COVID, whether you're actually funny or if people are just being nice to you because you're the pastor. <laughs> and it's like, um, I think, you know, when we were, when we were just online, that was true because it's like it's like watching a sitcom without a laugh track. Like when you say a joke to a camera and there's no one to like give you that immediate oh. reaction, it's like, oh, that felt like the Big Bang Theory. Like it felt really weird. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but then but then now that we're in person and or you know hybrid and we have people with masks on, it's like sometimes people don't laugh; they just smile when you say something funny or nice or encouraging, right. and you can't see that. So. 
one thing I've noticed is that if, if I do see something funny and there's a laugh, you know it's actually really funny because masks cover up quiet noise. You know what I'm saying? Like people have to speak up to he- even hear it. So if you actually hear a laughter in your, in your, in your audience, yo, that was a good joke. That was pretty funny. But I think it's really hard, man, because like, first off, I don't know about you guys and how your stage is set up, but like sometimes it's hard to even really see true faces because of the way the stage lighting is and the way it's positioned, the way people are seated. I don't know. There's a lot of things, but even with the mask on, it's like I look for head nods whenever I see something. And so like, if anything, I would have not said something about eyebrows. I would have said like, if you affirm something, nod your head like this. Cause then that to me is more affirming than even their eyes. Because sometimes people have weird eyes and people, mm. you know, people, people like don't, give Dude, you good we, gestures with their eyes we could do a whole episode on people's concentration face this is something that pastors see and speakers see like some people look like they're so angry at you when they're just like engaged and concentrated engaged. some people it's look tough. like yes yes and some people look like they are just like laughing their eye you know they're like they have these we- people have weird expressions when they're focused. And so, like, and, dude, yeah, in my it, context, it, it's out of this world because we're, we're surrounded. My building is surrounded by glass, and we sit on thirty six acres, and we have a lake view. So it's it's mostly like I would say fifty percent of the people are actually even looking at me. The rest are looking at creation, just because <laughs> we have deer. That's a hard comp- competition. By. There have been gators behind me. Uh, turkey are known to travel on the property while while I'm preaching. So. There Your church sounds lot. gorgeous. Oh, it's incredible. There. It's great. There's just a lot of distractions. Hey, you know, I didn't I didn't talk to your uh I don't know how I didn't bring this up, but your your father-in-law, I meant to ask him uh why he left Lakeview. I should have I should have <laughs> asked him that. That would have been a you fun can, combo. You can ask him that. Maybe he I told will. me, "Hey, Tim didn't say much and I told him that's cuz you took the whole episode." <laughs> <laughs> you got to kick out That's of that, funny. Though. That's funny. Yeah, I I mean for us it hasn't been too bad because we've been meeting outside so the people that don't want to wear masks aren't, but uh, I mean, yeah, I think it's just, it's just one of the hard things right now. You just have to kind of flow with it, but it is harder. It for sure is harder to read people's, you know, expressions and stuff. And, um, and that is a big part of preaching. And the reason I said he's probably from a white church is because the churches that are, uh, you know, different traditions. I mean, they're, they don't, you don't need to see eyebrows to know what to think. And they're saying, amen, or standing You're up gonna and hear clapping it. Yeah. and like, yeah. yeah, I mean, so probably those, those traditions are, probably not at feeling this as much i don't know chances are like every one of you has three or four people in your congregation who you tend to look at more anyways because they're mostly engaged exactly like i just clue them in on it i'm like hey um one of my guys names alan i'm like alan just so you know man when i'm preaching like i i feel you looking at me and being engaged so i just want you to know like i am reading you and i just let him know i'm reading him as well and I find that they tend to, they'll project even a little bit more. Um, at our church right now, it's I I kind of like the way our people are treating it. They're wearing the mask coming in, but once they sit down, they take them off. So to to be fair, we haven't been having because we have pretty social. Like in my campus, every seating pod is about six foot in between the pods. So you, if you're there with your family, you're safe, you know. But uh, do you to have be to fair, skate I think, to the seats? Oh, no, but like, we do. The people take, do put the skates on to sweep. Okay, I was gonna say, and then do you take the skates off after the service? <laughs> it is is a thing, but yeah. So I think if you can, if you have the opportunity to create a space for those people to not have to wear them, that's always going to be. But if you do, just let them. I would clue them in. Hey, you're one of my people. 
Wait, hey, Dell, let me ask you this. Because give you back. I have I have those people, and they typically all come to one service. And I've thought about asking them to spread the love between both of our services because it's it's easy for me to engage in first service because I think there are about six of them there, and they separate themselves out throughout the sanctuary, so I can make eye contact with each section of the sanctuary, and I know who's going to be most engaged. What are your thoughts? Is on that a more engaging? What, what do you think about asking anyways? them to say, you know, what, what do you think about coming to second service? And what happened this past week was awesome because half of them came to first and half came to second, which See, helped cool. me while I was preaching tremendously. Like, is your first service generally more engaging yes, in general? Not even close. Like Our first service is usually like, so yeah. what I've done is I've asked certain people, Hey, our, our, our 11 o'clock is really healthy. Would you mind going and being a missionary to my 945 service? And like when I framed it that way, would you be a six month missionary in our 945 service? Like those people, they're already engaged in the worship. So to me, that didn't seem like as big of an ask because they want that. Yeah, that's good. Well, the article continued to just kind of discuss some other things that are different about um, church now versus what it was before. And uh, Sarah, the girl that Tim and I know was talking about, you know, how their church is meeting outside. So Jeff, a lot like yours, uh, you know, they're not doing coffee hour anymore in church at the different pastors or just kind of talking about things that are different. And I know Dell, you're saying that, you know, you guys were meeting in the school and now you're not able to meet in the school. Um, what things have changed in your churches that you hope to get back to that you don't know if you'll be able to get back to. Um, I'll just go for us. You know, we had a very big active um, fellowship time after service. I would say 70 plus percent of our people are around 45 minutes to an hour after the service is done just hanging out with each other. And we haven't been able to do that since March. And you try, you tried it over zoom and it wasn't quite the yeah, same. Like we'd have like five or six people zooming in and, and I, I hopped on one. Week and it was always, you know, yeah. someone oh, we did the that too, like the zoom thing. It was great for like three weeks. And then everybody just got tired of zooming. They were like, I've been on eight hours of zoom every day at work. So I'm not doing it. And I get it. I understand, but it still stinks. We're the same boat. Like we, we had the long after fellowship time and, I would say yesterday. Yesterday was like the best service I've been to for the last six months. And I preached at all those. So, you know, having a guest preacher really helped me. Like, I mean, he just, it was just such a timely word because I asked him to share about like, um, from his counseling experience, dealing with difficulties and stuff. And so he really did a great job, but it also freed me up to not, you know, I just, I didn't have that pressure on me. So I was just a lot more like able to to hang out with people, but I think our folks are starting to get um, a little bit more comfortable around one another. So that's part of it. The first few weeks, it was like they came, we did the service, and then they were rolling out pretty quick. So it, now now they're a little more comfortable. So I'm hoping we get back to some of that stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. The thing that I miss the most from my church is our meals. My church has a lot of people that know how to cook really well. Uh, we have a lady that makes the best baklava you have ever had and i know about baklava from tarpon springs uh, it's it's incredible and i mean there's just so i miss that stuff and that's really one of the ways my church really shines is that fellowship time so i miss that a lot guys this is good um uh let's i want to dive into our main conversation so as you can tell if you've been listening our, our theme is on preaching and we've been talking about preaching um kind of interspersely throughout the past few episodes, but I wanted to kind of really focus not just on the, on like the prep stuff, but like really the nuance of like, Hey, what does your pulpit or your music stand look like? What's on there when you're preaching? I want to know kind of those details 
because I've even personally been kind of like changing a little bit of what I've been doing. Um, but before we dive into that main discussion, I just want to give a quick reminder. Hey, if you haven't done so, subscribe to YouTube, subscribe on iTunes, all that kind of stuff. Give us a review on, on, on wherever you're listening to this. It helps us a lot. But also uh, hit, hit that like button if you're on, on YouTube. It really does help our videos as well. And please share with a friend. It, it means a lot. And join our Facebook group. We're almost at 500 um, on Instagram. And so then we'll be really ready to Let's get there. Re- release those shirts I, they're, they're not fake we have the shirts i just really want to get our instagram to 500 so i want to i want to dive into um more specifics of like what does your prep look like so we kind of talked about this briefly delmar you have a thing where your sermon has to be pretty well like like is it has to be sunday ready or is it more like outline ready by wednesday morning uh, wednesday i gotta be able to roll it's yeah, so so basically, like, what you would want to preach on Sunday has to be ready by Wednesday. For me, it has to basically be like that too by Thursday afternoon, and that gives me two days to kind of add any tweaks. But by Thursday morning, all the stuff I want on any projectors has to be turned in to our communications person. What about you guys? What does it, you know? I I I think it was was it Tim or Andrew that you like by by like Saturday you read over an hour. What does your week look right. like leading up to Sunday? My, uh, my Tuesday, Wednesday are typically study days. That's text, commentaries, other sermons. I try to read as many sermon manuscripts as I can that have been preached on my text from trusted pastors. And then by Thursday, I want to start writing if I don't already start by Wednesday afternoon. So the, the goal being by Thursday afternoon, the, the, the words are on paper. And then Saturday afternoon or evening, is a review. And then I format my manuscripts a certain way. They're spaced out every two sentences with a a double spacing so I can see where my natural breaks would be. And then I am ready to rock and roll for Sunday. Yeah, I'm similar where, you know, beginning part of the week is study. And I can, the, the approach of be over-prepared, under-practiced. So I don't want it to sound on Sunday morning, like this is something that I've rehearsed in front of the mirror 15 or 20 times, but I want more information in my head than I intend to convey just in case one rabbit trail seems useful, you know, depending on the response of the people. So early week is study, study, study. And then I usually try to bang out the manuscript of, you know, 28 to 3,300 words. And we should probably clarify that we manuscript as in word for word. and, And I think both Tim and I, before our relationship with download youth ministry began it was kind of the you know i'm gonna write my notes on a chick-fil-a napkin and i'm gonna tuck that into my bible and just go from there and once i started to then flesh out those notes into full manuscripts so that they could be sent to download youth ministry it became oh all right i turns out that just the act of writing out full paragraphs instead of thinking them in my head makes me more prepared to seem off the cuff and so you know there are times that i lean heavy into the manuscript and there are times that you know that i don't look at the manuscript for three or four paragraphs in a row because i know what i want to say in that section but yeah i full i full on manuscript everything so let's say you know monday through mid-wednesday is study 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 you know and then record a podcast go out for coffee with people you know meet with people but by thursday afternoon is when I hope to have the the vast majority of my preaching manuscript finished. Uh, for me, so I take uh, Fridays are like my day off. 
Uh, I used to do Mondays, but now I do Fridays and I uh, like my family likes it a lot better and I like it a lot better too. So um, because happy wife, happy life. Am I right? Anyway, so I take Fridays off. So Monday mornings I come in and I usually do uh, like the post a video from the day before that kind of stuff, get social media stuff ready. And then uh, most of the time we're, we're just working our way through a book of the Bible. Um, so that's that's the meat and potatoes of what I preach through. And so I will read the text. Um, I actually use a, one of these ESV scripture journals. I don't know if you guys have seen these, but they're pretty cool. Like this is when I was in Ephesians. And yeah, just, I'm using one of those for X. Yeah, yeah. I just make uh, I just make uh, notes and anything I think of that jumps out at the text. I'm just like circling stuff and drawing arrows and all that. And then on Tuesday, I start uh, trying to write something. And obviously, you know, like we're in the we're in the Gospel of John right now, and I have been for uh, I'm on week 43, I believe, and we're in chapter 10. So we're <laughs> yeah, we're moving not all together. I mean, I've broken it up with other series in the middle of things, but um, so I kind of already know where John is and I've been reading it for a long time and stack of commentaries. That's all Tuesdays. And, uh, I mean, I assume all of us are praying through things too. I mean, that's a, that's the basis for everything. And then, uh, by Wednesday, by Tuesday afternoon, late in the day, and then Wednesday I'm writing and I'm manuscript and, uh, and then Thursday by Thursday, end of day, I am hoping my sermon is done. And then so Friday, I'm just hanging out with family. Saturday, I'm not thinking about it. And I don't actually look at my sermon again until about five o'clock on Sunday morning, five, five thirty. I get up real early and services at 1045. People start showing up at nine. This is all if COVID wasn't a thing. People start showing up at nine, like, you know, worship team gets there. They're starting to work through things. So I kind of have from about six o'clock till about 9 a.m to do the final touches, any last little slides, whatever I want to do. And then I'm, you know, then I'm with my folks. So, um, I use a, uh, I use sermonary, which I don't, you guys probably all have heard of, but I bought in early, uh, when it was beta and I've been using it for a couple of years. I like it. And uh, that's what I used to write sermons in. I'm actually thinking about just going to Google docs now, but I enjoy it. So I was actually going to ask you, what do you like about sermonary? Um, there are some commentaries that they have in there. I don't use them too much. I was using them more at the beginning. Now I'm just using paper commentaries, honestly, a lot from uh, my father-in-law's library since he's retiring. So he has given me a bunch of commentaries and uh, I use those. But um, I just the, the main thing I like about it is the way it stores things and the way you're writing things. So it's cloud-based. Um, for a while, it didn't have like offline uh, upload, which... There was a couple times where I lost big chunks of sermons and I almost was like, I delete my account, but then it got me back. So I like the, you know, it looks clean. Uh, I appreciate good graphic design that helps. And then it has a thing called podium mode, which takes your manuscript and puts it into like a nice iPad friendly um, format that you can preach from. So it has all, it, it basically has like, instead of you having to put headings in and stuff, it has built in um, little, I don't know, dividers, I guess they're called where you can insert Bible text. You can insert an application point, a, you know, just a, just a regular point. You can insert a, um, a bunch of stuff. And so I just, it's, it's cool. But I, I used to just use Google docs and it worked sermons. The sermons were just as good or bad. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I, I think this would be cool to talk about kind of like more of the minutia of the details of what is, 
what are you preaching from? So it, it's interesting you brought that up because I think for me, when I, I, I use Google Docs and there's times where I want clear things to stand out, like for headers and, yeah. and Bible verses. And that's just me kind of creating a rhythm. Like all Bible verses yep. are bold and italicized. Everything I want on the screen is highlighted yellow. Right. Like there, there's different like things you have to just kind of put in your own rhythm where like, where that, that sounds like that sermony has pre-assigned. It has a block for Bible verses. These are all things you can just grab and drop into your sermon manuscript and you can move things. It's based on the, um, the post-it note way of writing sermons where you write things in blocks and move them around. So it's, so you have Bible verse, uh, a main point, which it automatically numbers unless you want to have it specifically numbered. It has one for illustrations and they have a library of illustrations. You can like do a word search and it will give you illustrations. I never use that. Uh, it has application and these are all color coded. So when you're looking at the podium mode, you know that like gray is application. Green is a quote. Black is your your main text, red is Bible verses, and then the main points are really big text in yellow. So it's nice. That's cool. That's cool. So I'll go first when it comes to this conversation of like what's exactly on my pulpit or what's exactly on my on my student stand. I for a long time just had my iPad. I have the uh, the the large iPad Pro, and what I like about this is like um, the new Apple Pencil is really really nice and. And it like it just like slides right here. And the and the reason why I even bring this up is so I write my sermons in Google Docs. I I then put change the border of once I'm done. I change the border to 0.5 all around, and I pump up the font size 18, and that looks perfect on an iPad. So that sounds really weird when I print it, but on an iPad it looks great. And so then when I preach on Thursday for the critique, when I get off stage. I, I, I read my sermons in an app called Goodreader, which yep. I found like was really good because it's like just a normal like thing. But then I, but on Thursdays when I'm getting critique, I actually changed, put that PDF into an app called Notability, which is an app where you can just kind of draw on it. And so I use my Apple Pencil to like write what the people are critiquing me on. And then later I have my iPad open on front of my computer and I'm looking at the different notes that they told me. So I used to, as of, until my last sermon this past two weeks ago, I'm just with an iPad. I had this weird conviction that I've actually had since student ministry, but I started getting convicted more about this is, and maybe Jeff, you, it seems like you just preach from an iPad, right? Yeah. Do you, um, what about you guys? You guys just preach from an iPad or you guys have notes, like paper notes in the Bible? I am an iPad all the way, including my scripture. On the iPad. Yeah. I have an so, iPad with a Bible up there with me. So, and that, what Andrea said is something I tried two Sundays ago, and it was awkward because I don't usually do that. I usually have the, just the verses written on the text. And my, the conviction was this. In student ministry, I thought if the students are not seeing me open a Bible on, Sunday, on, on Wednesday night or whatever night you have youth ministry, will, will, could I believe that they are going to open a Bible during the week? Even though we live in a world where, you know, people are, I mean, I personally read my Bible through my phone more than a physical paper and, and print Bible. But um, how do we create those rhythms for our people? And so I felt convicted by that. And one of my pastors in the preaching team encouraged me. He's like, hey, when you do your service hosting and you do your benediction, just 
get the church Bible so they can see you open a Bible. And that could be the start of them thinking, okay, I see my pastor physically open God's word to read it. I should do that too. So therefore this past Sunday, I did that with my iPad. It was clunky, but like it worked. I want to hear what you guys have on your stage. So like, what does that look like for y'all? I, for, I, I have an iPad, um, but I've actually had an iPad crap out on me right before I preached. So I do not use iPads on stage at all. I use a print. I use, it's generally five pages because I know my outline very well. A five page is between 30 and 32 minutes for me. Um, I know uh, the text is always size 14 font. Um, Text is red. I actually need to wear glasses. I actually, but I don't. And the reason is I find with a little bit, this is going to sound so stupid. It's almost like you guys in your sports, like, superstitions but like whenever i wear glasses i can see better so i tend to look at my notes more so i want to go up there yeah i want to go up there and know my notes enough to if i need it i can glance down and blurrily see it um but and to me if a couple pro tips though like if you're gonna have pages make sure you you got that number on the bottom right hand because the last thing you need is them suckers spilling and then you got you don't have them in order Um, And another thing I really appreciate about the paper is like, it's almost like surface area and you can almost memorize where your text is on the page. I'm sure the iPad probably has some similar things. Uh, So also with the Bible, um, I do use a physical Bible as well uh, for some of the reasons you said. Also, because I noticed when I don't have a Bible in the pulpit with me, I, st- I tend to stand behind the pulpit more just to read, whereas I like to take the Bible and come out from behind the pulpit to say, hey, this is this is much different. It's like a subconscious thing, but and, it, and it's okay for me to read that. If I was to take my iPad and read it in front of everybody, it'd be like, that's it's a disconnect, but physically having the Bible. Um, a couple of things the pastor's taught me is like, whatever I have to read in the Bible, I put a square around where that verse is. And I put a line where I need to stop reading. And then I square the next verse where I would start reading again. Um, so I do do that. And then just to be quite frank, one of the things I started doing in student ministry was um, every every six months, a year or so, that Bible has some markings in it. It's got some squares. I find someone who has really been walking in faith and seeing them journal a lot. And I give them my Bible. I say, hey, um, you know, every once in a while, uh, I know that you've been coming and uh, here's the translation I use. I'd love to, I don't like seek that out, but if the opportunity arises, I have given them and like to see them like, yeah, it's, it's just a, I don't know, it's just a nice gesture, but they do, I've seen them come back and use that Bible. Delmar, do you, do you buy, then when you buy a new Bible, this is the same exact Bible you had before? Honestly, no, because uh, sometimes. But do you I, at least do I, you use the church card when you're buying a new Bible, though? <laughs> uh, not really. I'll be honest. The Bible what? I'm currently rocking. I got okay. Well, <laughs> but you do use a tax exempt number, though, don't you? No, no, Delmar's oh, so what? Got- <laughs> Hell. Man. There's no sale. There's no sales tax on the Bible. Yeah, come on. Dude. We got to have a post conversation conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, I know that uh, the Bible I'm currently rocking, I found in a yard sale bin for a dollar leather bound ESV thin line. So wow. it's it's pretty nice. So I'm like, I'll just I'll just use that one. So uh, but yeah, the physical thing on my pulpit, it's not really a pulpit. Our pastor is a big fan of Andy Stanley. So he's got the table rocking that table 
it comes up to here on me because I'm a little shorter. Um, but on there on Sunday morning, I have my my outline. I have my Bible and then taped to this is going to sound weird, but it's a long conversation taped to the desk is what you shout out if an active shooter comes in. So we actually have um, we what have you a shout system. out like, yeah, like, there's oh, no, there's th- an active shooter. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> run for the hills. <laughs> no, but it's it's basically um, what what's going to happen if you hear of something. I don't know them all memorized. I know one of them is to tell people to get down because the natural instinct is to run, which you are now standing targets if you get down on the ground. It's so yeah, we actually have that taped because in that moment, I don't want to have to recall what to say and what to do. So it's just right there. Uh, so but that's all that's up there with me on the floor. Uh, about three months ago, once we started fully online streaming into a camera, they did put us a confidence monitor down there. So I can see which text is coming next and what my next point is. But other than that, I'm all analog. Personally, when it comes to the microphone, we wear a head mic. Um, you know, the tan ones hate, like many hate those things. Me too. I'm a hand mic person. Um, a head mic for me is a tool to accomplish a job. A hand mic is an instrument that I can, that I can do something a lot different with. And I am a musician, um, in my own right. And I like the value of being able to pull in the mic and talk lower and then pull out the mic when I need to raise my voice to make a point. The head mic, you're just so locked into that. Um, so I really, I love the hand mic. Um, the best preaching experience I had this past year, I got up there and the pack went out and they're like, you're going to have to use the hand mic. Oh, shucks. <laughs> so yes, I do use a, I like the hand mic, but I use the, the head the mic. face mic is good enough for Chandler and Piper. It's good enough for me. Oh, yeah, it was good enough my, for Jesus. Good enough that's for me. right. My beard keeps getting in the way guys. Like every yeah, time. No, that's, for real. Well, yeah, you got a different. The, you got the. the, the noise. Judas Smith can rock the hand mic, guys. He really can. So confirmed. Yes. I, think they, I think they have a secret lapel somewhere because there's no way you can have the mic this far. <laughs> For real. And, oh, they do. They and do. then, yeah. Anyways, um, anybody else have any uh, different or, or unique like on stage? I, I will say the whole having the Bible up there with me. I do think that can be a uh, pastoral sensitivity. Like if I go, uh, I was preaching at a Baptist church this summer. Um, and, uh, they didn't have a pastor and I wasn't sure. So I just brought a Bible with me and brought it up on the platform and I did the readings out of the Bible. Um, it's just something that's a non-issue for me. So if it's an issue for the, for my folks, I'm just going to have a Bible. Um, when I do have a Bible, I have a nice, I think it's a goat skin or whatever ESV somebody gave me. So yeah, it's super nice. It lays really flat. And I would say like, as a pastor, you don't have to feel bad about having a real nice Bible. It's like, it's, it's a tool for the trade, man. I mean, you know, it's okay to have a nice Bible that lays flat and you know, whatever. Uh, but normally I have a flat table, uh, my iPad and a little bottle of water and maybe like the order of service from planning center up there. That's about it. My, my, uh, that Christian standard version Bible that they sent out to everybody that wanted one a couple years ago. Um, is the exact same color as my iPad case. So that works out really well. So um, I carry both of them in tangent. Of course, I'm not actually preaching from that translation, but they see me open it and then I read it off the iPad. Um, so it's a prop Bible. Is that cheating? Like if I go out of my way, like I do, I do the call to worship from the Bible, but when it's, it's laying flat at the table, 
Um, we switched during the pandemic. We had this like plexiglass pulpit with a hand crocheted. It was a little obnoxious. What? It was a little. It was especially for like out. It did not fit in our church. Yeah. But, like I guess when they moved in, they found it in the closet and they're like, "This is great." And so someone like you know hot glued it and polished it and all that stuff. And so when we went to the when the pandemic started, I was teaching like at a table table because I was also the one pushing the buttons because I was one that knew OBS. And I just maybe it's like, do you remember when Seth Meyers um, first got the show when he was trying to be Jay Leno? And then after like six months, like, yeah, uh, Seth Meyers, we like you better sitting down behind the desk. Do your monologue sitting down. That's just who you are. And it turns out that I like sitting. So you preach sitting. I preach sitting. Like I'll start the sermon and then I'll, um, you know, I'll pray. And then I will transition to a stool. I'll stand up to pray at the end of the sermon again. And like, praise like, team. Man, Rick Warren was right. Yeah, it's <laughs> I've, if everybody else in that room gets to sit true. for that whole time, so I long. should too. And then but I found not that everybody when I, else in that room gets to divide the word of God. So. Well, there's, this is, but they should. The priesthood of all believers. Hey. So, you know, in any preaching class you take, they're like, don't touch the pulpit, don't touch the podium, you know. And yet, if there's a pulpit in front of me, I'm like draped over it, <laughs> laying on all of my weight is on it. Yeah. And so. For for me, it was you know easier to deal with a camera in my face if I was sitting down, and so we went to the uh, you know the bar height table and the the stool. But so I've got my iPad like propped up, you know the, the different iPad cases, so it's at the most vertical it can be, and then um, my sermon manuscript on size eighteen font. Just I use my pages into Dropbox with my Bible in front of me, and. If there's a text that I really want to hammer across, I'll pick up the Bible. But it's a CSV Bible, and I preach out of NIV because that's what most people have. Yeah, I've got a pretty traditional pulpit. It's it's wooden. It is offstage when my drummer finishes the worship set during the sermon bumper video. That is his cue to grab said pulpit, bring it on to center stage. I don't like flat. I like the, the pulpits that are angled. I, I do preach from manuscript. And I don't shy away from it all that much. I, I typically write down everything I want to say. Obviously, there's room for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. But I also believe the Holy Spirit works a lot while I'm prepping too. Yep. So I, I want to make sure that I hit on those key things that I did write down. Um, so I have an iPad on a pulpit and that's it. Last week, I started carrying water after what happened two weeks ago. I tell was, everybody, sinners in the hands of an angry God was preached by a pastor staring at his manuscript making yeah. zero eye contact so if if you know yeah yep. yeah <laughs> so you know if if you want it if you feel like you can best communicate through having you know an outline in front of you and that's how god's calling you to preach then that's how you should preach exactly. but if you want to preach with a manuscript it's not cheating it's no not at so, all actually i think that's an some art of the best form, preachers yeah I'll be honest. When 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 you do that, I I have a tremendous amount of respect for you, and I think most guys who I use what you would call a heavy outline, like but I have a lot of respect for that. I think um, I think my my pastor he kind of flips it, and I guess these are generational differences. He takes all of his notes. From my understanding, he prints them out and puts them in his Bible. So he's like doing the opposite of of what a lot of um, the iPad Gen guys are doing. Whereas when he's looking at his Bible, he's actually looking at his notes. Yeah, 2006, Andrew, that was me. It was print everything. I had, you know, the the ESV that everybody got when they were first coming to 
coming out that now it's like so flaky and you leave it in your car for two minutes and there's just gross leather everywhere. But so I had one of those that I would tape my notes into, oh, Amos maybe. And the joke was I'm never going to read through Amos without a study Bible. So if there's little tape holes all throughout Amos, who cares? I'm not going to, you know. Uh, there is low-tech uh, tape for that purpose that you can peel Amos. out. Well, I didn't have, and I thought if I was Zondervan, I would develop a preacher Bible. You have a Bible that opens right to the middle, and you have, you know, translucent sleeves mm. you could slide notes into. But then the iPad came out in 2010 or whatever, like, yeah, you don't need to do this anymore. But I, I long thought, wouldn't that be a great idea Not a bad to idea. create a Bible with sleeves that you could slide note pages into did i would actually ever do the like half page little binder yeah Yeah. that's like that's like jd greer that's the pre-ipad and i'm sure every pastor has at least one bible that's got like 10 sermons stuffed into it in case you just gotta preach something i got i got a coach's bible from fca and i've got probably 10 little mini sermons stuffed in there so if i get called to do a chapel or something we're good yep so every one of my sermons, they are manuscripted and they are in my Dropbox and they are offloaded onto my phone and to my iPad at all times. So I can preach any sermon I've ever preached with or without Wi-Fi access, which I've had to do. Yeah, that's that's the thing I like about seminary uh, is all my sermons are just in the cloud and I can grab them any time I want. Andrew, I, that, that Bible idea would be great for weddings because I always get really insecure about what would look good as a pastor yeah. in a suit yeah. in a, such a formal setting. Like sometimes I feel like my iPad is a little bit too um, tacky for those situations. Yeah. And so I think about buying a case that's like leather bound, but a Bible that has like a place for like a note, like that would be really nice. I was at a wedding on a beach and the pastor was like, now place the, place the rings on my Bible. And I was like, dude, that is a three ring binder that you are calling a Bible. And I'm a groomsman. So I can see that you're lying to everybody. And this was, this wedding was in 2007 and I am still fired up about it. He said, "Place the rings on my Bible." Wow! Hey, I, for, I it, forgot it the got juice. Me. I forgot the juice for communion at my first wedding. I found out mid-service. That's, <laughs> that's a story for the weddings episode. The uh, yep. this is what I use for my. I did a wedding out of this one like three weeks ago. It's uh, it's a leather journal. Like it's meant to cover a moleskin. You know the mole, but but yep. what I do is I nice. I go on Microsoft Word and make it double sided print. I just take the pages, fold them in half here put a um, black rubber band around it, holds them in here, all the text. So when I'm walking out there, it's a leather book. Slick. Yep. Looks good. I go I iPad like for weddings, but naked, no case. Oh, same. <laughs> I have my, I have my leather iPad. That's about the color of Jeff's hat. So it's just that, uh, very nice. Is it, is it creamy brown. Case? It is not. <laughs> no. It's an Amazon uh, case. What nice. is, so all of us has probably had some sort of preaching ministry for at least now a decade to some degree. Um, if not longer, what is one thing, one piece of advice that you were given that has greatly improved your preaching ministry over the course of 10 to 15 years that you've been preaching? Over-prepare, under-practice. Yeah. That's good. Can you flesh that out some more to explain what that means? Just, you know, there's, I'm going to read three or four commentaries in their entirety for that passage. You know, if, I'm I'm going to read over if there's a pastor that I like, if there's a sermon on that, I'm going to read it. I'm going to have way more information in my head than I'm going to have on paper so that if the spirit is leading or I can tell that people are interested at one point, 
more can come out, but I'm not going to stand in front of the mirror. You know, 22 year old Andrew was, you know, got a, like a stopwatch cause we didn't have stopwatches on our phones back then. Um, and it was like stopwatch in front of a mirror, read this verbatim. All right. That was 18 minutes and 45 seconds. I needed to go at least 23 minutes for this ministry. And, and it was just so, it was very, very practiced and more emphasis went into the rehearsal than actually the preparation. So you can always edit and take stuff out, but you can't always add stuff in. The, the I don't know. We, we, and maybe we should do this another day because we don't have a lot of time, but like talking about tools that we use, like in terms of like how to study, I have Lagos that we got back in Bible college. Cause we had like a 50% discount or something that I find more valuable now than I've ever had in my entire life for some yeah. reason. And um, so like you, Andrew, like if I'm reading, like if I'm reading these 10 verses, I'm reading like a dozen commentaries from yeah. church history to modern about what they said. And then even some of the more like my, I love James Vernon McGee. Cause it's not very like uh, Bob. It's not very like academic. It's more of like preaching commentary type of thing. And then um, the ESV study Bible, the, the ESV app has uh, for $3, yes. three, three or $4 a month or something like that. You have an access to the ESV study Bible, the gospel transformation Bible, a bunch of other stuff. But I think the most valuable thing, because the actual commentary sets like a thousand dollars is the preaching through the word commentary set. And it's, per, it's great for homiletics. It's great for like how to actually like the application of this text. Yeah. It's th- th- that alone is worth the four dollars a month. ESV, yeah, that you also get the expository commentaries on yeah. there. They don't have all of them done yet on there, but I'm using that one too. And the the Greek interlinear stuff on there, incredible. Like it's for, such a good resource for four dollars a month. You almost you almost. I mean, so I'm good. not going to say you don't need Logos right for commentaries, but that's a great step in the right direction. If you couldn't afford any other commentaries, yeah, you get would that. Be, you would be pretty good with that four dollars a month from ESV. Yeah. So Pretty you can good. download the ESV app and just within the app, you can go ahead and get that subscription going. ESV.org too. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, and the, yeah. and the subscription's called like commentaries. Like yeah. some of the, yeah. it's like, a commentary. yeah, but that's good though. Um, uh, I, I will say tool wise, and we can post this. Um, somebody sent this to me uh, years ago. It's, there's an author named Bob Thune. I think I recommended his book about eldership on this podcast a while back. But uh, he has a PDF. It's two pages long called How to Write a Sermon, a Template. It's three steps, exegesis, step two, gospel centrality, step three, homiletics. And it walks you through different steps in each one. I'll send you the link so you can post it. But uh, somebody sent this to me, and it was a really, really helpful thing. What other uh, pieces of advice that you guys got over the course of your years of preaching that you would, like, if there's a young person listening to this that's just starting out their preaching ministry, that you would wish that they had, you had known then? pastor once told me preaching is God's truth wrapped in man's personality. And uh, that was like freeing for me because that was when I was like 20, 21. And I was like digging all into these pastors everywhere that I wanted to be like. And he was like, but God made you, you know, like, so you be, um, you be you and let his truth come out. So that is something that just always is in the back of my mind. I think the the best uh, piece of advice that somebody gave me, an older pastor gave me, uh, was in terms of preaching was to know your people and to love your people. Um, and that will make your preaching 
as good as it can be because God hasn't called you to preach generic sermons. He's called you to a specific group of people to preach them. And then, of course, I mean, there's the the Richard Baxter quote. You guys all probably know it. Preaching as a dying man to dying man, that death is always part of the uh, it's 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 always there because we're all going to die. And, you know, resurrection has the final word. And so that needs to be central in every sermon. Yeah, my lead pastor would routinely tell me when he would critique my sermons, uh, stop saying you and start saying we. And I started doing that and I noticed an immediate impact on my sermons because suddenly instead of me preaching at my people, I too was receiving uh, God's word for that day. That's good. I think I think um, there's this uh, challenge or this desire to... Um, to, to often think of your sermons as your gift to people and not the fact that even you writing the sermon is God working on you. And like, and like, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure this is true for all of us here. It's like when I write a sermon, sometimes it's ministering more to me in that sermon development than it will ever do on Sunday morning to anybody else. But I think like what you just said is true. It's like, instead of saying you say we, I think like, um, I think when it comes to illustrations, I love what you said earlier, Jeff. You said uh, sermony has like a like a like a, a a bunch of like an index of sermon illustrations. Man, there is no illustration you could ever find on the internet that's more powerful than you being vulnerable or you using your actual life experience. There's not a single little cutesy thing from any sermon central website or whatever that you'll ever find that's more powerful than like you actually being vulnerable or you pulling from your own. Wait, but when you're in a pinch and you need, you need something like, are you going to say that, oh, that, that I'm, yeah, I'm at fault wrong. for using a, okay. Okay. Every one of you has called guilty. your pastor friend and asked for somebody. No, no, what, I know I, like, I I think when I changed majors, my dad bought me like this book of like the 10,000 sermon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're books so or, bad. And, so but but what's so good about them is uh, like you read that and you're like oh that's the dumbest story ever although one time something similar happened yes, to it, me you can use it to and spark, so it's yeah. it's not the I'm gonna steal this idea it's the get you thinking of you know no when did you make the wrong turn in the car you know mm-hmm. I, I I think when I was but when I was 25 or 26 I would often envy pastors who are older than 40 because I felt like they had so much life experience that they could draw from. And like all my illustrations, like I had six good illustrations for six topics, but then I realized that like, I just don't think I'm thinking critically enough about my own life to really draw. I think there was actually probably insecurities in my own life preventing me from being able to draw from my own life to preach because I always want to be seen as the hero in my sermon. Yeah. And I realized that like, if this is going to relate to anybody, sometimes I got to be the villain in the story. I got to be the boob. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, like, remember – God knew who he was putting in front of that group of people to preach. So he knew mm-hmm. that you had six illustrations when he called you. And, there. and Jeff, good. you said something Absolutely. last week about not, uh, not preaching from a place of healing or preaching. I don't remember what you said, but it was really good, but it was, you know, preaching from a point of, I don't know when, when you're healed and on the way, to, but not preaching while wounded or not, not using your bleeding in the pulpit or yeah. something like, preach from your healing, not from your wounding kind of thing mm. where, you know, yeah. if you've got the, if you've got, yes, this happened six years ago and here's how I've responded versus here's what I'm struggling with right now. 
is a very different kind of sermon illustration. Yeah. Yeah. To your point about illustrations, I was listening to R.C. Sproul the other day, and someone asked him, how do you get all of your illustrations about theology? He goes, I only do one thing. I realize everything is theological. And when you when you tend to look at all of your life as one beautiful unfolding of who God is to you, um, and you just take a minute to say, God, what can you show me in this? He says you'll be surprised what he will when you invite him into that space. So, Do you guys use, to get real practical on this again, do you guys use anything to grab those illustrations? Evernote, notes Notepad. in your phone? Yeah, scrap of paper. What do you do? Notes on my home my screen, I got anything. a widget with notes on it, and I just okay, type cool. it in. Yeah, I think I think like especially when I'm sitting in a text and I know I'm, I feel like I just pray a lot and I just like Lord give me the illustrations for this week, and and sometimes like whenever it comes to me, because I use Google Docs, I open my phone up and I usually have two Google Docs: a Google Docs for just notes and commentaries, and a mm. Google Doc for my actual sermon. So the so the Google Doc for the notes and commentaries is super messy and super long. Yeah, it kind of there's like no single thread where my actual Google Doc for my sermon is way more organized. I put, I put, I'll say something like um, running into wall illustration and I'll know exactly what I'm saying because there was a time where I ran into a wall and that's mm-hmm. going to be right. perfect for them. So I don't know. I wish I had something nice where it's like, I have an, uh, a OneNote. What is it called? OneNote or something? Yeah. Where Evernote, like OneNote. Ever, Evernote where they like have this constant library of illustrations. I know, I, I know some pastors who have filing cabinets in their office where they file, where they physically file all their sermons, which I think is crazy. And then two, where they file just their illustrations and they literally pull it. That's a level of organization that I'll never have. That ain't me. Hey, uh, this is really helpful. And and if you're in the Facebook group, I want you to uh, um, like, I would love to hear your um, kind of how your prep is and what you do. We'll maybe post something this week so that way we can get some people's feedback because I want to hear from that. But hey, before we wrap up, uh, we want to do a top three like we do every single week. And this week, our top three might be a little niche because earlier in the show, before the show started, uh, some of the people in this podcast were like, I don't know what I'm going to say. But I want to hear from you guys, your top three Disney Channel original movies. We were all... We were all children and youth in the in the glory years of Disney Channel original movies, and I want to I want to be able to hear from you guys. But Tim, you have something to say? Yeah, because because we gotta we gotta specify this. This is not just Disney films. This is no. Disney Channel. So if you're in the Disney app, the D C O M Disney Channel original movies in the Disney Now app, that is where you will find these films. Yes, so, the uh, Disney Channel. I I, is- I can lead this off if you'd like me to. Yeah, go ahead. Because he's already stealing mine on the list. I we was were, not stealing. We were I was trying to call sure. dibs. I was making sure because my, well, mine go way back from this all the draft. 19... You can say the same thing. Okay, all right, that's fair. So we can both claim Johnny Tsunami. No, why would you use one to say it before I did? That's the <laughs> only reason you did that. They're so good. Why did you do that? To I me? like the second Johnny Tsunami better, but why whatever. Did you do that? Ba- back on board. <laughs> it's so good. That's hey, Tim. Cool. Tim, go ahead. Share your list. What's your list? From 1987, we've got Not Quite Human, which was a fantastic robotics film. Uh, then in the late 90s, we had Smart House. I don't know if you remember that one. That was, that was a fantastic yeah. one. And that was like right after I got cable. Johnny Tsunami had a major impact on my childhood. Uh, I loved the Johnny Tsunami films. I will say that Melissa and I, so th- like two or three weeks after Melissa and I got married, a family asked us to uh, house sit slash child sit for them 
for like 10 days. We'd been married for three weeks. And it was a, hey, will you watch our two middle school girls and our fourth grade boy while uh, we are on a cruise doing something romantic? And it'll be great birth control for you because you won't want any kids for a long time after this. And that was the weekend that High School Musical came out. Wow. And so that was like, you know, we were 21 and 23, but we were living with two middle school girls and a fourth grade boy. So that was, it doesn't make my list, but I understand the cultural impact. It's big. Of it's high school musical, I will go with Johnny Tsunami, uh, Luck of the Irish, great film, great film. The the Leprechaun basketball player guy. We watch it every March in the uh, house. It's it's a great, fantastic film. And then because it's October, you got to go with Halloween Town. We watched it last week. I feel like I, I want to share mine, but I just want to say Jeff and Dumbar's face are just so uninterested in this conversation. It's so funny. The only me. original Disney movies I've seen are the ones that my five-year-old daughter watches. So, Jeff, what, I, what, what, what's zombies. your favorite? Zombies. No, zombies. I, I could watch zombies. And two. Well, okay, can I and, say something? Hey, listen. Soundtrack in the car. I'm not upset about it. Hey. It's, hey, it's not hey, bad. Here's the thing. The Descendants. Zombies. Oh, Descendants. Z- yeah, that's pretty good, too. Zombies and Zombies 2 is a commentary on, like, social, racial yes. things. That's no, it actually definitely is. And and it's like I because I, I've never seen it. My wife made me watch it. Zombies one is a, is like about nineteen fifties era segregation desegregation with with blacks and whites. Zombies two is about it's us gender taking issues. gender issues. Oh, gender, I got transgender stuff like it's oh, taking, it's continuing. I thought it was about us taking Native American land. Oh, maybe it is. The, the werewolves That's were about Native about. Americans. And that the, and that the, the 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 power is the land that we took from them. Anyways, <laughs> I think you might be right. These Disney movies are are deep. Okay, real quick, because yeah. uh, I want I want to hear as a as just as a parent only. That's your engagement. I want to hear what you're gonna say. I mean, but you guys took it, except you guys didn't say one of them. Johnny uh, Kapahala back on board. That was the Johnny Tsunami second movie. That was really good. Ooh. Johnny Tsunami though, just in period, it's just like. It's one of those influential like childhood movies. But my number one, and now I realize saying this out loud, there's a theme of like extreme sports and all this. Brink was yeah, such I, I was a good movie. I've seen that. Uh, it's okay. all about rollerblading. Well, yes, yeah, so I've seen What well, would have okay. been number one on my list because I thought it was a dig- Disney original. Turns out it was just so bad in the box office that Disney moved it to put it on Disney Channel all the time. But Meet the Deedles. This is Paul Walker way <laughs> I before. Saw it in theaters. But you saw him meet the Teals in <laughs> theaters. It's Paul Walker surfing Yellowstone. So it's bad. so dumb. Oh but, my goodness. So good. But I probably saw it twelve times. <laughs> okay, Jeff. What, what's uh, you mentioned? You mentioned Descendants and you mentioned Zombies. Anything else that your daughter has shown you? Uh, high School Musical. Classic. She watches. Yeah. I think she she's into a few of the shows right now. But honestly, we've had to tell her she can't watch a couple of them because they're like. Uh, you're getting a little bit rude to us in your five, so that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> but she does like Austin and Allie, which I know is a show. Yeah. Uh, she started watching Jesse, but we had to put the kibosh on that because the kids are pretty uh, rude. But, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, if she was 10, it'd be different, but she's five, so. Delmar, what do you got? Um, I have scoured this list, and I just have to confess, like the oh, I was a Nickelodeon Cartoon Network kid growing up. So Fair. like that's where I spent most of my time. So um, unfortunately, yeah, I mean it makes sense, right? Like, but I will say I did see Brink. Okay, 
Um, so I think, and and if I remember, like that, those guys have the most like '90s haircuts. Oh, oh such good hair! Like, such good hair! It is like Jonathan Taylor Thomas prime exactly era it. look. That's it. That is JTT baby. So yeah, I, I, I'll give that one out. So, I, I, takes but I place am no, in California too, right? Does it really? Yeah, yeah. It seems yeah, like, like even talk about yeah. Xenon Girl of the 21st century. Oh, I grew up in Southern wow. California as a little kid, and like that's how people looked. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it, it made its way over here. It just always takes about eight or ten years before it does. That's right. So I mean, I will say, I will say, Delmar, to your credit, like I probably enjoyed Nickelodeon television more than mm. Disney television in my childhood. Like Snake was the greatest programming, bro, ever. So All bad. that. Are you Kel? Afraid of dark. Yeah. Are you afraid All of dark? Was legitimately scary. Dope. Like, like, the one. <laughs> I'm afraid the of one the dark now the, because of it. Yeah, the one where the dead guy is at the bottom of the pool. The ghost yeah. of the dead guy, and he pulls people down and drowns them like an eight year old. I didn't go in a Frank, pool for a whole This is why season. you're afraid of basements. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, true. it's true, dude. I mean, like, but like, I mean, I was, I mean, I always say this all that. I mean, unfortunately, the, the series runner of those all those great Nickelodeon shows yeah. is a very problematic man. He's really, probably, he's like a predator or something like that. But oh, like, wow. uh, yeah, you can look at there's a whole Frank who loves orange soda. Kel loves orange soda. <laughs> Is it, it true? <laughs> I do. Dude, I love orange soda because of that. It's so good. Anyways, hey, this is this. Is, I, I just love all things nostalgic. It's so good. Listen, hey. we couldn't watch Disney Channel stuff in that time because James Dobson told my family to, to boycott. boycott. There we, we have to boycott. boycott. Oh. We were Christians, so we didn't do that. Okay? Same. Man, yeah. It's. I'm glad. Man, I, just, I just totally killed the vibe. No, no, no. no I, I was, I'm glad my mom didn't like really take her walk seriously until like high school. And at that point, it's like, <laughs> what you gonna do now about me? I'm doing what I want. But that's not serious. But I'll watch anyway. all the brink I want, mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a phase, mom. All right. Anyways, let me uh, tell everyone that hey, thanks for listening to the show. If you want to support it, please like, please subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Share it. Go to our Facebook group. It's helpful. If you want to go to our Instagram, get us to 500. I'm going to start picking people to get some of the shirts. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Delmar is doing a great job of making this video look amazing on there. Um, and so, yeah, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Uh, we're, we're not that hard to reach in the Facebook group. Ask your questions. It's a really cool community. It's, a lot of people have been asking and sharing some more stuff lately. Yeah. It's been really, really cool. I just think we need more people to engage more because it's just some really cool stuff in that Facebook. I've been really enjoying this community. There's some other few Facebook communities I'm in fairly toxic but this community has been, <laughs> <laughs> has been really encouraging it's been really good hey with that being said i'm frank gill i'm jeff simpson i'm delmar pete i'm andrew larson <laughs> and i'm and this is practically pastoring see you next time guys bye <laughs>